socialist. Okay, Nazi was a, neat, a nickname derived from the first two syllables of the term in German. National, socialistisch Nazi. Uh, the Nazis never called themselves uh, Nazis. They called themselves national socialists. And they had very good reason to call themselves a variety of socialists, uh, as will become apparent uh, in, in the conference from Professor Hoppe and others. But referring to them as any kind of socialist made some people on the left very uncomfortable. Uh, so they always called them Nazis or simply fascists or German fascists. Now, why is it misleading to call cases of police brutality, especially brutality against political uh, opponents uh, of the regime, fascist? Uh, to begin with, using violence against political enemies is a very old story with many kinds of re regimes. And as far as European history in the 20th century goes, such uh, massive violence uh, on a grand scale did not originate in Italy or Germany. It originated in Lenin's Russia. Uh, first exercised by the Red Guards uh, before uh, uh, the uh, revolution, political violence, including mass killings, was institutionalized in the first incarnation of the Soviet secret police, the Cheka, which went through many different names, finally becoming the KGB. The victims were political enemies, uh, real or, uh, or imagined, but also largely class enemies, meaning not aristocrats who had largely fled the country, but middle-class people, anyone who, anyone who owned property, uh, and their families too, of course. Uh, as Karl Marx said, what is communism? Communism is the abolition of private property. And uh, communism will be the final perfect society once we get uh, rid of uh, uh, merchants and bankers, manufacturers, uh, traders, uh, speculators, um, uh, people who own land, uh, uh, landlords, uh, just uh, get rid of them and uh, we'll have utopia. In the Soviet Union, persons captured in the midst of acts of speculation, say townspeople who were starving, who brought some uh, linen or crystal or whatever to, to some place out in the forest and traded it with some farmers for a few sacks of potato, uh, were subject to summary execution. Uh, the Cheka was established in 1918, and the first several years of its existence is a period of the first Red Terror, Lenin's Terror, to be followed in the 1930s by Stalin's Great Terror. The first Great uh, Terror claimed probably around 100 or 200,000 uh, lives, not counting those who were killed for fighting against the communists, peasants, uh, for instance, who resisted the confiscation of their crops. In fighting such hostile enemies, enemies of the people, the Reds committed atrocities on a grand scale. Uh, of course, in the Civil War, there were atrocities on both sides, the Reds and the Whites, but the Reds' atrocities um, far, out, um, uh, far surpassed the, the uh, atrocity of the anti-communists. Um, the Reds uh, uh, took hostages, killed them uh, uh, by the thousands, and at least in one, in one case, death camps were set up where prisoners were gassed to death. This was already in the early 1920s. Uh, anybody who wanted to find out about it, find out the truth, knew about the slaughterhouse that was Lenin's Russia uh, in those years. And such uh, massive political violence was exposed, for instance, in the conservative press, the Catholic press, uh, but also by other non-Leninist socialists in, in many different countries, by anarchists like Emma, uh, Goldman, for instance, by emigres uh, like the famous uh, Harvard sociologist uh, Petrin Sorokin. So, they, so people knew about this. This didn't, have to, this didn't await the 1956 destalinization 
speech by uh, Khrushchev. As far as violations of civil liberties go, freedom of, of, the, of uh, speech, the press, and so on, here too the Soviets were the pioneers and carried uh, through the repression more systematically even than the Nazis, let alone Mussolini's fascists. The reason was that the communists totally abolished private property uh, and, uh, and also crushed, uh, meanwhile, the Christian uh, churches. The communists had no need of censorship in any traditional sense, uh, since all of the newspapers, all of the uh, uh, meeting halls, all the publishing houses were owned by the state and staffed by communist cadres. Uh, in Italy, they were still privately owned so that non-fascists, even some anti-fascists, could occasionally have their writings published. In Russia, the communists imprisoned and massacred Christian priests wholesale. Uh, this the Nazis were not able to do in Germany, much as many of the Nazi leaders would have loved to. After all, they were only in power for 12 years. The outstanding example of the limitation uh, on Nazi power is the Catholic Bishop of Münster, Clemens von Galen. When uh, Bishop Galen heard that uh, uh, so-called mercy killings were taking place in uh, hospitals and insane asylums, that meant that meant that uh, people deemed unworthy of life were simply being killed. Uh, he gave a series of famous sermons. This is in the middle of the war in 1941, uh, with the uh, Germans uh, fighting on the Eastern Front, uh, in which he denounced the policy. And in the midst of the war, incredibly enough, Hitler was forced to modify his policy. Uh, so communists led by Lenin established in Russia the first and greatest terror state of modern history. Along with that came the first great Russian famine of the Soviet period, causing the deaths of another two or three million people. Uh, to his limited cre credit, uh, Lenin uh, permitted American relief to come in, supervised by Herbert Hoover. Later, in Stalin's uh, terror famine of the uh, early 1930s, he would not permit any relief uh, to come from overseas because Stalin said there was no terror. And of course, he was second. Uh, there was no famine. And he was seconded in that, of course, by the Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times correspondent, Walter Durante. So this was the Leninist system that the communists now proposed to spread to the whole world. Uh, their instrument was the Comintern, the Communist International or the Third International. In conventional histories of the interwar period, uh, one thing that you must never do is uh, uh, view the History Channel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, read our books instead. In conventional histories of the interwar period, the common term is a 600-pound gorilla that is missing. Um, in 1918, um, the, uh, uh, in the creation of the common term, its mission was to bring communism to every country exp and explicitly and openly. They didn't make any bones about it through illegal as well as legal means. Through any means that fit the situation, including violence, killings were appropriate, assassinations, and so on. The first head of the Comintern, of the Communist International, Gregory Zinoviev, said that if necessary, the communists would do away with 10 million people in Russia alone. In the end, it turned out to be an underestimation. The communists gained power briefly in Hungary and Bavaria. The Red Army invaded Poland, offering bounties, as we know now from the, from the Soviet archives, offering, offering bounties for the heads of Polish, uh, uh, of, uh, Polish aristocrats, priests, and so on. Oddly enough, the Polish farmers and workers 
uh, resisted the communist message, stood firm against the invasion of their country, and the Red Army was stopped at the, stopped at the Vistula River right outside of Warsaw. Um, back in 1848, in the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels uh, wrote that communism was a specter haunting uh, Europe. Uh, that was just a, uh, a bit of propaganda, hope, and aspiration. But after the Bolshevik Revolution, communism was really uh, the uh, uh, specter haunting Europe and the world. Now, what about, uh, we'll return to this in a minute. Now, what about the frequent equation of fascism with anti-Semitism and exterminationist racism? As far as the Italian example goes, Italian fascism, that's another myth. Until the late 1930s, there was no trace of anti-Semitism in Italian fascism. In the early years of the movement and in the regime, some of the leaders were Jewish, Italian Jews. In fact, at, the, at least in one case, one of Mussolini's many girlfriends was Jewish. Um, and the Italian uh, fascist ideology was nationalist, n not racist. Um, it was only in 1938 that Mussolini promulgated some anti-Semitic laws, prohibiting intermarriage between Jewish and Gentile Italians, excluding Jews from university positions, and so on. And even here, exceptions were uh, allowed. Why did Mussolini take this route? By this late date, it was clear that Hitler was redrawing the map of Europe, and the political momentum was all on Hitler's side. Mussolini, in the true tradition of Italian statesmen, uh, wanted, to be in, <laughs> wanted to be in on the division of the spoils. Uh, some signs of anti-Semitism, he thought, would be welcomed by the Nazis. Most Italians, almost all Italians, were disgusted by the measures against the Jews. The Italians had no hatred towards their Jews, a very small community integrated for centuries and centuries into Italian society. It was Hitler that most Italians despised. Uh, when the war came and then the Nazi, uh, uh, Nazi roundup of the European Jews, it was not very successful in Italy. And books have been written about this. The Italians kept throwing monkey wrenches into the Nazi project, and that was true of the Italian bureaucracy, of the Italian army, even of the fascist party. The Catholic Church hid hundreds of Jews in the monasteries and convents of Italy at the, uh, with the threat of, of death for the, uh, for the monks and the nuns. Thousands of Jews were saved. One small incident um, uh, illustrates uh, the situation. When the Germans occupied Vichy, France, the unoccupied part, and uh, after the Allied invasion of North Africa, the Italians were given the, uh, a nice little stretch of southern France called the French Riviera. When the Jewish synagogue in Nice was attacked by an anti-Semitic French mob, the Italian Carabinieri protected it and kept it from being destroyed. The Jews of Nice were so grateful that they raised money to send to the Italian civilian victims of Allied bombing. I think this goes, that, uh, goes to show that World War II, the last good war, was a little more complex than many people think. So, uh, how were these fascists able to come to power in Italy in 1922? Mussolini was always an opportunist with no fixed principles. He began his political career as a socialist and the spokesman for the most radical wing of the socialist, Italian Socialist Party. He railed against the Italian state, especially against Italian imperialism in the war um, against Turkey over Libya. But by the time World War, II, or World War I came, Mussolini had become a nationalist, extreme nationalist, and campaigned for Italian entry into the war. Kicked out of the Socialist Party, 
uh, kicked out as editor of their major uh, newspaper, started his own paper, and continued in his nationalist direction. The end of the war, Mussolini seemed to be through. Uh, he tried to start a political movement of his own, but it got nowhere. It was the Italian socialists who came to his aid. Italy was in turmoil, and the Socialist Party had become further radicalized. Lenin looked on Italy as a particularly promising area for revolution. Uh, the Italian Socialist Party came under the control of the Maximalists, who viewed themselves as Leninists and looked to the common turn for ideological direction. In the program that the Socialist Party adopted in 1919, they proclaimed the start of a period of revolutionary struggle to bring about the forcible suppression of the bourgeoisie within a short time. And they called for the armed insurrection of the proletarian masses and proletarian soldiers to institute, institute the dictatorship of the proletariat. This was after the Bolshevik Revolution and everything that the Reds were doing in Russia. Um, they declared that the proletariat must have, a quote from their program, must have recourse to the use of violence for the conquest of power over the bourgeoisie. Uh, we must use new and proletarian organization, organizations such as workers' Soviets. We must adhere to the Third International. Well, general elections took place in uh, Italy in 1919. The Socialists became the largest party in Parliament, as well as the best organized. Its spokesmen and agitators hailed the coming socialist revolution. Uh, the party newspaper, Avanti, went so far as to state that soon all the parties would be eliminated. Now, socialist violence had long been a feature of public life in Italy. Uh, it had been, up until now, directed against employers' property and especially against non-striking workers. It had been systematically practiced by the labor socialist labor unions in the course of any industrial dispute. There was a great um, Italian classical liberal economist named Fredo Pareto. In 1906, Pareto complained that the right to strike had been turned into what he said, the freedom for the strikers to bash in the brains of workers who wish to continue to work and to set fire to the property of, uh, of the employers with impunity. This was, uh, but this was typical of, uh, uh, of uh, the action of labor unions um, uh, in Europe, in America, uh, uh, then as uh, uh, is now. Um, now, union violence in Italy was not confined to the industrial centers. Systematic coercion was introduced into the countryside by the socialist agricultural unions. Okay, there were, uh, and there were wildcat strikes uh, all the time. Uh, the country was uh, uh, in constant economic uh, uh, turmoil. Uh, in the countryside, the ultimate game, uh, aim of the Socialist Agricultural Union, almost a million, million members, was to collectivize the farms, as in Russia, uh, which would be worked by cooperatives. Um, what the employers especially resented was the socialist demand to control the social, uh, this was step by step towards their ultimate, ultimate aim, to control the labor supply and employment opportunities. Um, in the end, the employers were forced to recognize the employment offices run by the socialists as the exclusive source of labor power. Um, in, 19, uh, in 1920, representatives of the uh, uh, General Confederation of Labor signed a pact in Moscow adhering to the Social Revolution and the Universal Republic of Soviets. In September, uh, 
workers in Milan, Turin and Genoa, hoisted the red flag, seized control of the factories, proceeded to run them. Um, in Turin, uh, workers' uh, councils were formed, which Antonio, famous communist uh, theoretician Antonio Gramsci uh, welcomed as the Italian version of the Russian Soviets. Local elections in 1920 put control of most of the municipal and provincial co councils in the, hands of social, uh, in the hands of socialists, especially in central Italy, northern Italy. Sometimes, declaring their towns revolutionary republics, the local socialists announced their intention to use the, uh, the communes as a spring springboard for revolution. Socialist councils and their, um, used their powers to raise taxes on wealth and property, increased spending on public services, uh, and, and this connection favored workers' cooperatives and municipal contracts, and subsidized consumer cooperatives to undercut the private retail and <coughs> distribution trades. Millions of Italians in the middle class became convinced that Bolshevism was on the point of overwhelming the country. Nowadays, um, a typical uh, uh, historian of the period acts as if the only people who could have been against communism at this time were multimillionaires. Um, and uh, I mean, that holds for the uh, Spanish Civil War and for many, for many other things. By the way, uh, there's Benito Mussolini, second from the right. I think he should be further over to that gentleman on the left. <laughs> now, nowadays, uh, people say this communist uh, threat was all bluff, verbal revolution. That's not how it was viewed by contemporaries. Um, there, were, there was every, from their actions and their speech, there was every reason to suppose that the socialists were aiming to turn Italy into another version of the Soviet Union. Meanwhile, the government vacillated. The government officially assumed a posture of neutrality in labor disputes, which meant no pro protection for the rights of property or of non-striking workers. Now, of course, all governments are um, incompetent. Uh, all governments are to some degree corrupt. But I have to say, in, in my own studies of modern history, uh, the Italian government uh, makes FEMA look like the Sony Corporation. <laughs> The fascists countered, now the fascists countered, started countering socialist uh, violence with their own. At the time, even well-known anti-fascists, like Alcide de Gasperi, uh, the Christian Democratic uh, premier of Italy after the war, testified that in the beginning the fascist violence was largely defensive. The protection of the, of the, um, of the rights of uh, non-striking workers and of uh, farmers and of, of uh, factory owners. Uh, the great increase in fascist membership and influence came initially in the rural areas where the fascist squads or black shirts were formed. And, uh, uh, and, and the, these were largely uh, middle, class, middle class young men, um, the uh, sons of some of these small property owners, uh, many of them uh, veterans of, of the war, uh, and uh, they were hailed by uh, uh, all non-communist, uh, uh, non-socialist communist, uh, really indistinguishable in Italy, uh, elements in, in the country. The socialist program had alienated even uh, many sharecroppers and tenant farmers, especially in the Po Valley. So these were the people uh, who started uh, uh, equipping and financing these black shirts. And uh, 
Um, no, it was called uh, by uh, uh, later historians, uh, some later historians, uh, basically a movement of uh, middle-class self-help. Uh, one thing I, I sort of uh, like, uh, it was the non-striking, uh, non-union workers, the scabs, right, uh, together with the uh, uh, fascist black shirts who broke the la labor monopoly in the, uh, on the Genoa docks. Uh, and um, when uh, uh, in the uh, area of Carrara, the local socialist government threatened to nationalize the, uh, the marble quarries while they were forcefully stopped. Of course, the uh, fascist uh, violence was not uh, uh, merely defensive. It went far beyond that. Uh, they uh, uh, tended to root out the socialist infrastructure. They applied physical violence that their opponents could not match, uh, you know, uh, union goons, though they were, and destroyed socialist-run town halls, union headquarters, newspapers, and tax-subsidized cultural centers. Now, anti-communists in Italy and overseas applauded the fascist victory over the socialists, that is, when Mussolini came to power in 1922. In 1927, Winston Churchill visited Italy and met with Mussolini, and Churchill publicly praised fascismo's Triumphal, triumphal struggle against the bestial appetites and passions of Leninism, claiming it had proved the necessary antidote to what he called the communist poison. Uh, when uh, the fascists were on the point of assuming power, Mussolini uh, reversed his earlier anti-monarchical and anti-Catholic views, and he even courted the support of Italian free market economists, of which there was a small but very prestigious group that had access to major newspapers. Um, there's a parallel in French history with Napoleon and the uh, ideologues, but uh, that's an, uh, another um, subject and uh, because of my uh, limited t time, um, I'm not able to go into it, but if we, you know, certainly have, uh, could do it in an hour and a half, I suppose. <laughs> and and, and uh, so Mussolini did this with the Italian free market economists. Um, as I say, a small but pres prestigious uh, group. He even used the term, uh, Mussolini even used the term Manchesterism in one of his talks. Now you have to understand, for decades already, any hint of Manchesterism, which is laissez-faire, uh, was anathema. It's the worst thing that you could say in, uh, uh, in uh, uh, most of Europe. Um, that and the uh, real danger, as they saw it, of a Leninist takeover, led all of the Italian free market economists to endorse Mussolini's coming to power in 1922. His supporters included Luigi Einaudi, famous economist uh, admired by Mises and Hayek. Uh, afterwards, Einaudi became the first president of the Italian Republic and one of the founding members of the Montpellier Society, probably the most famous classical liberal in Europe at that time. But in 1922, uh, since they felt they had a choice between uh, Lenin and Mussolini, um, that's what Einaudi and the others did. At first it appeared that Mussolini would actually realize the wishes of the free market economists. He appointed as his finance minister, professor of economics, Alberto de Stefani, who proceeded to enact a liberal economic policy, including lowering taxes, abolishing numerous anti-growth regulations, and promoting free trade. But his policies alienated the leaders of the armaments, metal, and chemical industries, constituencies, in, uh, powerful constituencies in the north. 
these is what, uh, what uh, these are what the public choice economists would call rent-seeking groups. They were deeply offended by De Stefani's free trade ideas and his refusal of state subsidies to their private businesses. In 1925, he was forced to resign. And there's another parallel with uh, uh, French history in Turgot. Uh, now, with the departure of De Stefani, the fascist regime became basically more uh, uh, interventionist and steadily interventionist. There was, a, uh, first of all, the growth of the state bureaucracy, the bane of modern states, but most particularly of Italy. After all, jobs had to be found for good fascist cadres, phony baloney jobs, uh, so that uh, uh, they could uh, take a, a siesta, uh, maybe four hours work to begin with. Interventionism of the fascist regime, which will doubtlessly be uh, detailed during our conference, uh, uh, reached its heights in the 1930s with the creation of the Institute for Industrial Reconstruction, the IRI, an enormous state holding company that controlled numerous firms in many different fields. By 1939, the IRI, the state holding company, held 18% of the total capital of Italy. As one historian has noted, Mussolini's government controlled a proportionately larger section section of the national economy than any other government in Europe except the Soviet Union. Uh, it appears that the Italian fascists coined the term totalitarian and used it in a positive sense. Everything, uh, everything was to be done for the state, nothing against the state, and so on. But this was a, a real a bombast um, and, and bluster. There was a fascist secret police called the OVRA, O-V-R-A, and typically, seriously, the initials stood for nothing at all. <laughs> to compare the OVRA to the Gestapo or the Soviet secret police is ridiculous. Um, uh, Stanley Payne is an excellent uh, historian of fascism, University of Wisconsin, as he says, during the entire history of the fascist regime, about 5,000 persons were given prison sentences for political reasons, with about, with about uh, 10,000 sent into internal Exile. It's 1922 to 1943. Up until 1940, the war, political executions amounted to nine altogether, mostly of Slovenian uh, terrorists, so called. During the war years, up to 43, another 17 political executions took place. What was that? A half an hour at, uh, not even that, uh, 15 minutes at Treblinka, or um, uh, a half an hour at Vorkuda or Kolyma, in the way of. Um, of uh, deaths in the gulag. Now, uh, one thing that uh, might be mentioned, although again, I, uh, I don't know what what I did to upset Jim so much, or maybe I don't know the powers that be, limiting me to the Nobel uh, Nobel laureate, not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, a, a Schlabaum laureate to the to the same amount of of time as the, you know. I don't want to say undistinguished, but <laughs> at least non-Schlaubaum speakers who will follow me. Um, <laughs> many, um, there are in fact uh, uh, many significant connections between fascism, Italian fascism even, uh, and the Jacobins during the French Revolution. Um, and uh, uh, they, those could be uh, detailed.
One writer on fascism, uh, who was himself a fascist and survived the war, I find particularly uh, interesting. His name is Maurice Badesh, and he was a group of Parisian fascists, not Vichy people, uh, hated Vichy, or despised Vichy, but actual fascists who lived in uh, Paris during the German occupation. Uh, he has a little book called What is Fascism? And he de declares that the ultimate goal of fascism, fascism was the production of a new man. Just as, uh, uh, almost in the same words that Robespierre and the Jacobins used in the French Revolution, he would be Spartan man. Uh, and the essential uh, goal of uh, fascism was the creation of the order of Sparta. Um, that is self, total self-abnegation, total uh, living for the state, uh, no real private property. So finally, what can we say were the characteristic traits of fascism including German National Socialism. There was first of all the militarization of society, the spread of military values and institutions. Uh, these reached a very high degree of uh, achievement in Germany, but it was rather feebly attempted in Italy as well. The, the Italian people just were not ready for it. As Mussolini said, it's not hard governing the Italians. It just doesn't make any difference. That's, Let's keep in mind, in the 1920s and 1930s, this was still an age of world imperialism. Mussolini somewhat vaguely aimed to break through the chains of British and French imperialism. Hitler aimed at something beyond that. Now, this is, uh, I think, uh, suggestive. As for militarism, Andrei, uh, 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 Andrew uh, Bacevich of uh, Boston University has written a disturbing study, quite recently entitled, The New American Militarism how Americans are seduced by war, and unconsciously how military values and, the, and putting the military above everything else, um, if, um, <clears throat> um, if they had it their way, uh, maybe they could uh, uh, have another uh, appellation for the Lord God, he's the commander-in-chief of the universe, um, the way some, so many people in America think nowadays. The second defining characteristic of fascism in the broader sense was the third way, the middle ground between what they thought, what people thought was English and American laissez-faire capitalism, uh, dreadful uh, as that was, that was on the one hand, and as, on the other hand there was Soviet communism. Fascism would be the middle ground, not total nationalization of the means of production. No one wanted the chaos and misery of, of uh, Soviet Russia, I mean, maybe Russians could put up with that, but not Italians, uh, uh, certainly not Germans. Um, fascism uh, would end uh, the dog-eat-dog uh, dog -dog competitive system of the West. As this, this, uh, man, this uh, French fascist uh, wrote after the war, what fa fascism maintained private property in name, but uh, it imposed its will on the egoism of liberal capitalism. Uh, the, um, this third way of fascism uh, was praised by many conservatives and progressives around the world, by businessmen and labor unions, and it would finally do away with the, with the, uh, with the awful world of laissez-faire, where the market rules, and it would bring about a true community of all the classes in society. Uh, and I think that how, how that uh, evolved in fascist regimes is going to be uh, outlined in uh, detail in further talks. Thank you.